I'm going to read these 16 verses. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were also called in the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. And he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who's the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being filled, are fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Father, we, we thank you so much that we acknowledge you to be the king. Lord, going right back to the ancient psalmists who knew that you reign, that you're the Lord. And we thank you. We can take up this song on this field today and say the Lord reigns. You are our king. You're Lord over Hailsham. You're Lord over this nation. You're Lord over our circumstances. And we take tremendous joy and comfort from declaring these things together, Father. And we thank you for this wonderful scripture, these words inspired by God. And we pray that you will, Lord, take them even this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Please come and be our teacher. Lord, that we don't just note things in our minds, but you as our Father, speak into our lives. Come, Father, speak to us in our lives through your word, by your Spirit, Father. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul has this uh, amazing concept that whereas we might say at one time Jesus of Nazareth was the body of Christ, now he says you are the body of Christ. And he says we're individual members who are meant to work together like a body, functioning as a people, joined together with his presence, his spirit, his enabling 
And he wants us to come to the fullness of the stature of Christ, to a mature man. It's an extraordinary statement. It's not that we have individuals who are shining, mature illustrations, but together. The Bible says a lot about being together. We'll come to that before we've finished. It, it, the Bible doesn't talk about isolated, individual, incredible saints, but a collection of people who are coming together to enjoy him and experience him. So he's thrilled about a people. And so here, I want to just take us through this. And I want to underline, really, how the phrase in love is straight right through this whole passage. It's interesting, whatever the body is taught on, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which they're always taught together, the gifts of the Spirit and the body, they work together. We are talking yesterday about the Holy Spirit. And gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. They're for one another, to help one another. As we've had people sharing things they feel God's been saying to them, we do it to help one another. We're coming at, we want to encourage one another. And we find that the place of love is always emphasized. So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 12 and 14 are all about the gifts and the body. And right tucked in there is chapter 13, the classic chapter about love. And then you'll find here references to love. You'll find similar even in uh, Romans 12. There's a short list. There's also emphasis there on love. That It's in that context of love that the body comes to fullness of stature. It's not something we can organize. It's not something that's just cold and factual. It's a community that are motivated and moved by love. So just the first one is this, showing tolerance for one another in love. Verse 2, forbearance you may have in your translations, all sorts of different words that are used in different translations, but it's saying really we have to bear with one another in love. Why? Well, because to be honest, we will sometimes let one another down. And if we're going to maintain a unity, if we're not going to splinter and break off, we have to be bearing, forbearing, tolerant with one another. It's one of the characteristics of a Christian. We, should be, we may not be very good at prophesying. We may not be very good at singing. We may not be very good at all sorts of things. But Christians should be very good at forgiving. It's something that should just come so spontaneously to us. Why? Because we've been forgiven so much that God said, okay, okay, I'll wipe it all out. But Lord, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. Wow, I am forgiven so much. That should affect the way I relate to other people. And so here it is, bearing with one another in love. And the text shows us how we're to do it. It's all there in the verse with humility and gentleness and patience. Okay, so with lowliness or humility is so very important. See, the early church, when it first got started, was made up of people from such different backgrounds. They reckoned that the Roman church was half slaves and half free. Now, slaves and free people were not used to working together. They're not used to being brothers. They're not used to uh, experiencing that kind of a relationship. You're a slave. I'm a free man. And so, you know, I, I have nothing in common with you. And yet here, no, no, God's saying, no, you've got to, you're going to learn to integrate. You're going to learn to come together, Jew and Greek, male and female. They were going to be into a relationship such as they'd never known before. And we find often we come from our different backgrounds. We come from, some of us may have been raised in a, in a city, some in a countryside. Some have had this kind of education, some have had that kind of education. And we can sometimes feel, I don't know if I fit. I don't know if I belong. I don't know if I'll be accepted. I don't know if I will play my part here. 
But the church of God is meant to be a phenomenal thing that we come together in a way that no one else can. It's not a club. It's not a club I go to on Sundays. It's a people who are profoundly integrated. And the way that works is that we bear with one another. And, and one of the ways it says here is that we do it with humility. In other words, it's easier to get bear with other people if we don't have a high view of ourselves. If we think I'm important, then we think, hey, how come I wasn't told? How come my name wasn't on the list? How come the church is doing this? And oh, no one asked me. And it's, sometimes we get offended because we, we think we're something. Uh, and we think people owe us something. But it's easier to bear with other people if you're not very impressed with yourself. If you're not even, you know, not very taken up. Humility is something we need to cultivate sometimes. We need to learn about it. And, and you know, <laughs> Churchill... Churchill said about Clement Attlee, who was the leader of his opposition, he said, he's a very humble man. But there again, he has much to be humble about. <laughs> Lovely, typical Churchill statement. Eh? Now, and, and a humility uh, in the Greek culture was, a, was not something that was thought appropriate. A, a man was meant to be proud of himself. He's meant to have some a strength of personality and character. And the man called Armitage Robinson, he says this, to the Greek mind... Humility was very little else than a vice of nature. It was weak. It was mean-spirited. It was the temper of a slave. It was inconsistent with that self-respect which every true man owed to himself. And you can have that mentality that, hey, I, I, people should respect me. People should, and, and, and the Bible's saying that that's not the characteristic of the church. If we have a high view of ourselves will find difficulty in forgiving others. If we have a lowly view, we'll find we can handle that simpler. Paul says in Philippians 2, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus who humbled himself. That's the king that we follow. That's the Lord that we adore. I sometimes think lately, we hear this, there's a song we sing, that the, cane, the, song, the, uh, the grave could not hold him. He came out like a lion out of the grave. And uh, I thought, I've been looking at that Easter story recently, and he came out of the grave and he spoke to a, a little woman, and he said, why are you crying? And, and, and she said, well, she's, taken away, she's taken away my Lord. And Mary, you think, wow, doesn't it sound like a roaring lion to me? It sounds like such a tender shepherd gathering his flock again. Such a tender shepherd. And that's meant to characterize the body of Christ. There's a gentleness, a gentleness and a, and a meekness. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly of heart. These are the two words here. There's a, a meekness that God's looking for in us. And, and the, the word for meekness in the Bible is a Greek word, praus, which means it's the word that's used when you talk about a house, a horse, a horse, sorry, the horse that's been broken in. A horse that, you know, you remember the cowboy movies, you've seen cowboy movies where there's this wonderful stallion and it kind of bucks up and he can't hold, and then the hero comes in and he gets on and holds in there and, uh, until the horse becomes prouse. It becomes broken in. Does that mean it can't run so fast anymore? No, no, it's just as fast as it was before. It's just as strong as it ever was. But well, what's the difference? Well, it doesn't kick back anymore. It's broken it. And God wants that to be the characteristic 
We don't want to say, we dare, don't talk to her about that. She gets so upset. You know, we walk in, on eggs around certain people because they think, well, they get very angry. But no, this, that, that shouldn't be in the body of Christ. There should be a, a forbearance based on the fact, hey, myself, I've, I've, I've had a broken in experience. <laughs> God's dealt with my arrogance. God's dealt with the way I react to people. It's something that God wants to do in us. It doesn't mean we're weak. It says in the Bible that Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. That's his, what an incredible testimony. He's the meekest man. What did that mean? Well, he was opposed. He was opposed by uh, the sons of Korah. They said, who do you think you are? Who made you a leader? And, and Moses did not defend himself. He didn't speak uh, in his own defense at all. That God dealt with the sons of Korah. Even Aaron spoke against Moses. Even his sister Miriam said, who do you think you are? He never, ever defended himself. God says, the meekest man in all the earth. But when he came down from the mountain where he'd received the revelation of God, the Ten Commandments. He'd been with God. He came down, and they were making a golden calf. Would you remember what happened? Moses said, grind that down to dust, put it in the water, drink it. You think, he doesn't, he doesn't seem terribly meek at the moment. Well, it was the glory of God that was at stake. It wasn't his reputation. It wasn't, what are they saying about me? It's how you're acting towards God. He was so powerful. He's incredibly powerful. So being meek doesn't mean you just become a doormat. You've got no personality. You just let people walk all over you. Bible meekness is I don't push myself. I don't demand things for myself. It doesn't mean we don't have a brain. We don't have a personality. But in order for us to bear with one another, it comes out of a character that's been shaped like this. We're not always demanding my way. We're not always saying it ought to be like this. It's easier to bear with others if you've dealt with that in yourself. Paul says, bearing with one another with lowliness and gentleness and patience. I mean, love is patient. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, it just is. It just is. We've got uh, loads of grandchildren. Wendy and I have got 19 grandchildren. Can you imagine? And so we often see little babies around. And, and you know, when they, when they try and walk in, they keep falling over. Oh, there it goes again. But you don't say to your child, okay, okay, wait till you're two, then walk. You say, come on, another step, another step. And love is patient. It just is. Love is patient. And here it says, bear with one another with patience. We keep on letting people off. Okay, can we do that? We want to become a mature man, come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. We want to be a great church. And this is the kind of lowly doorway that you come in. We come in through a, a, a small, low doorway. Meekness, lowliness. To, to what end? We want to become a mature church. We want to come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. It does not happen without good attitudes. You don't get there without that lowliness and humility. Now why? Why should we do it? It says here, Paul says, just working through the passage, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Diligent to preserve. He's going to talk later about arriving at the unity of the faith. We attain to, we attain to the unity of the faith. We maintain the unity of the Spirit. Because when we gather a church, you'll find sometimes, well, when in my former church we used to do this. In my former church, we believe that. And we come together and people begin to build church. And you know, We will attain to the unity of the faith. 
as we give ourselves to truth, as we submit to one another, we'll attain to unity of faith. Meanwhile, we maintain unity of the Spirit. So, so what is unity of the Spirit? Unity of the Spirit is unity which the Holy Spirit gives. And it's a gift. It's the gift, the unity of the Spirit. So you think about that early church. It was so amazing, to be perfectly honest, that, that God began to pour out His Spirit on these people whose background was Jewish. Their style of living was Jewish. They'd lived with centuries of Jewish tradition, Jewish requirements. And then the Spirit gets poured out. And do you remember the story how Simon Peter says he's praying, he fell into a trance, he saw a sheet being let down from heaven. And he saw all these creatures. And he heard this voice say, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, Hey, I've never eaten that kind of food. I'm a Jew. I don't, I don't touch that kind of food. It's just, you know, I wouldn't do that. I'm a good Jew. That's my background. And so it happens a second time. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Then it happens a third time. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And it's like, do you mean I'm allowed to do that now? Am I allowed to eat food that I formerly couldn't eat? It's all preparatory to him going to the Gentiles. It's like, I mean, it's amazing what happened to these Jewish people. You're now allowed to eat it. It's like, can you eat pork and go to heaven? It's like, yeah, yeah, you could eat pork and go to heaven quicker. It's like, it's amazing. <laughs> you, you, you can eat this stuff now. It's like, wow, we're allowed to now. And this is what the Jews had to discover. Lots of things you weren't allowed to do before. Now you're free. I'd never eaten this kind of stuff. And then he gets this knock on the door. Cornelius, his men have come. And Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a Roman. Not just a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier, a centurion. The hated Romans who are destroying our nation. Taking taxes off of us. Ruling us. This, this, this horrible people. You've got to come to him. And Peter, who would never have eaten this food, would never go to a Gentile home. If Peter steps inside a Gentile home, he's now unclean. In the Old Testament, he cannot go and worship in the temple. Now he stepped inside a Gentile home. You're not allowed to do that. And so this vision is saying, come on, you can do this. Come. What I call clean, don't call unclean. And so he goes, I can imagine, with great nervousness. He goes to this Gentile home. There's these Roman soldiers. I mean, it's another world to him. He's going, guys, what, what am I doing here? I guess as he stepped in, he thought, what am I doing here? This is a huge challenge. And then it says, he began to preach. And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon these people. He said enough. If you look at his sermon in uh, Acts 10, you'll see he said enough. He's explained the gospel, the heart of the gospel. He has declared about what Jesus has done on the cross. He said enough. And, and as they see that, and, 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 and they're believing that, the Spirit falls upon them. And he's staggered because these Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit like he has. I said, these Gentile pigs, they're speaking in tongues. What are you doing with the Holy Spirit? You're Roman soldiers. What's going on here? And he has to go back. And Acts 11, it's interesting, Acts takes two chapters to tell the story. Chapter 10 is how it happens. Chapter 11 is Peter on the carpet explaining to the other apostles, what were you doing with these Gentiles? And he tells the story over again. He said, while I was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And now, you've got the Holy Spirit. 
like we had at the beginning. Wow, we're one body. We're one body. We have a unity in the spirit. God's done something. God is running ahead. God's evangel. God is on a mission. We're not trying to get God interested in our mission. He's on a mission. He's catching us up on his mission to the ends of the earth. And he is ahead of Peter, wants to get amongst the, the Gentiles. And Peter's catching up. And it's the Holy Spirit. He says, right, right, you're one now. You, you've got the Spirit. He's got the Spirit. Now, come on, attain to the unity of the faith. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. Keep our oneness together. We have the Holy Spirit's unity, so we have to... That's why this passage says that. So it says, in order that, you may maintain. Why? You bear with one another. What with our differences? Yes. When, well, she spoke again. No, no. Just maintain unity. Forgive. Bear with it. Because we must... We want unity. But what about... My, no, no, no. It's not important. We overcome. Anybody you won't speak to? Anybody you avoid? Now it says here, it says here, make every effort to maintain. Work hard at it. It's not like, well, she knows my phone number. It's not like he started it. It's, 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 very, it's, it's a very strong phrase. Uh, Marcus Bart says in his commentary, it's hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the Greek verb. Not only haste, and passion, but full effort of the whole man is meant. Not passivity, not wait-and-see attitude. John Stott says, a call for continuous, diligent activity. Make every effort. Work hard to maintain unity. It's not a casual deal. It's, oh, I don't really like her much. No, no, no. Work at it. Work at it. We have to work at it. That's what it says. Make every effort to maintain this unity of the spirit and we do it with a forgiving heart with patience with humility and we say why well, we want this unity we want the presence of God we want the unity of the spirit so we bear with one another in love we do it in love Peter says how many times do I have to forgive seven times and Jesus said 70 times seven let's learn to do it amen Make sure we're there. It should be that as a people come in from outside. We live in such a fragmented world, don't we? Such hostility. And online these days, it's like anything goes. People are just so hostile, very hostile. And lonely people. And coming into the church, they should find, wow, I've never met anything like this before. So the, the preaching isn't just through the man speaking at the front. It's who we are as a people. That people can take note. Wow, there's something here that I've never seen before. That's what God's looking for. So that the body is having impact together. And so bearing with one another in love. Then drop down to verse 15. That's the second in love. So that's the first one, bearing with one another in love. The second one is speaking the truth. In love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. Speaking the truth in love. Now, that's got two possible meanings. It's either be truthful or it's speaking the doctrine, the truth. Let's look at that second one first. It says not being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, not being like children, 
But we begin in love to speak the truth to one another. We need to speak truth. I remember once I was at a meeting and a guy was preaching. He said, doctrine divides. I wish we hadn't got any doctrine. Theology just divides the church. No, we don't need it. Let's just love one another. Now, that is very silly because the truth sets us free. We need truth. Without truth, we're lost. I wouldn't be spending time in the Bible if it didn't matter about truth. We need truth. We have to grip truth. Truth, I thank God for everything I see. I'm getting old now. I'm still learning new things all the time. I'm trying to devour truth. I'm trying to be set free by truth all the time, all the time. Truth is helping me. We need truth all the time. But we need to speak the truth to one another in love. It's one of the things that actually causes Christians to break fellowship. Well, I believe this, I believe that. I've always thought, well, I've always thought. And we, and we can lose fellowship over what we think is a, a doctrinal issue. So we need to speak the truth. We need to speak the truth in love. It's interesting. It says in James, the wisdom from above is gentle, reasonable, peaceable, unwavering, open, it says willing to yield in the margin. It's interesting. How, how can you be unwavering and willing to yield at the same time? Yeah, that's in the same verse. So what it, I believe what it says is this, that there's a, there's a sort of steadiness about us, like being, building on the rock we've been learning about. Now, I don't change positions quickly. I don't follow every fad that comes through. Over the years, I remember, we know we've been going for some years in New Frontiers now, and there come different fads have come through the body of Christ, and people have run after them, and we said, well, actually, I don't think that's in the Bible. And people get tossed about by funny doctrines that come, and, well, that's the big thing. There was a time when we were all being told, go up onto a high hill, find the history of your town, and curse that. You think, oh, I don't think that's in the Bible. don't see Paul doing that anywhere. And so we didn't do it. A lot of other groups were doing it. We thought, I don't think it's in the Bible. I'm not going to just follow the latest paperback. I'm not going to just follow some strange idea that just comes popular for a season. And you find two years later, nobody's saying it anymore. But for a year or so, wow, this is the thing. You have to do this. Where's that in the Bible? Where did Paul do that? Where did Paul go to a town and say, like, let's go up onto a hill? And no, he didn't ever do that. He preached the gospel. Tell them the truth. And so that all sorts of doctrines come through. So uh, we, 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 stand st we, we tend to be unwavering. We tend to be unwavering. We, we speak the truth we spoke 50 years ago. We speak the same truth. It's the word of God. We don't say, oh, we're running after some new thing. I love the way your worship is built on truth. I take note of it. I love it so much. And I was in a church recently, and a guy said to me, sorry we didn't have any cutting-edge songs. I thought, I don't really care if they're cutting-edge or not. Are they biblical? There's so much being sung that isn't biblical. I think, why are you singing this? Why are we, you're causing all these hundreds of people. Why are we spending half of our meeting singing nonsense? You're not serving the body of Christ. I really applaud the choice of songs, the real biblical root. And so we don't want to be tossed, oh, it's, it's the cutting-edge one. I don't care. Is it truth? So, so we're, we're unwavering because we want to build something for the glory of God. We're not just rushing after the latest thing. So in that same verse, it says we're unwavering, then it says, but we're open to reason or margin, willing to yield. Well, how can you be unwavering and willing to yield at the same time? We have to be mature. 
What it means is this. But I always thought that. But, but are you saying that verse? Oh, yeah, do you know? I'd never seen that verse. And, and can you show me some? Yeah, here's another verse. Oh, I never understood that before. I never understood that before. I was preaching in Cape Town this year. I had the high privilege. I was asked to speak on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And um, before I spoke to the whole congregation, they said, would you get together with some of the elders and, and just tell us what you're going to preach? So I did. And one gentleman, I was a beautiful man. He'd been actually anchoring, hosting the meeting. I, I said to the leader, I said, what a great guy he is. Oh, yeah, he's a lovely man. He was a Baptist pastor. We're so glad to have him with us. And uh, I was speaking to these group of leaders, what I'm going to teach. And when I finished, he said to me, when we said, well, what do you all think? He said, I've never heard that before. That's completely new to me. He said, I'm 62. He said, I've been a pastor. This is completely new to me. So we come up to the big event. I preach to the whole church. Now I go through very systematically through the scripture. At the end of the meeting, I said, would the leaders come up and pray for people? So he comes up to pray for people. He said, well, I don't know what's going on here. So he said, I'm laying hands on two people. He said, I'm, I'm, gra I'm grappling with this truth. And he said, I laid hands on them. He said, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They both started speaking in tongues. So he said, I stood back and said, Lord, I really do believe this is in the Word after all. <laughs> and he said, God just met with him while he's praying for other people. And he told us all the next day, he said, so he said, it's all happened to me. He said, I've been praising God. He said, it's like I've started life all over again. See, so he was saying, look, wait a minute. You know, is this, I've never believed this before. That's a good attitude. It's not, oh, is this some new thing? And I said, no, no, I'm not. That's new to me. But then we went right through the scriptures. He said, oh, wait a minute. Willing to yield. See, that, that's what we're saying. We're not, we're not, so we share the truth in love. We don't confront. Oh, you believe that? Huh. See, the church is torn apart by that attitude. Such hostility. Giving people names. You know, giving them title and cutting it down. You associate with him. I saw you on the platform with that guy. He said, oh, come on, beloved. We want to build a great church. We've got a fragmented world out there. We've got, we've got members of parliament. We're all going to rubbish one another for the next few weeks to try and get some position. The church has to be radically different. Radically different. That doesn't mean we don't have things we believe strongly. We've built our lives on them. We're unwavering. It's on a rock. But if you can show me, if you can show me, oh, I see. Okay, I'm willing to yield because, because you've shown me. Do you understand what I'm saying? We speak the truth in love. We do it amongst ourselves. We do it with other churches in town. God helping us. God helping us so that we can bring about this work of God, this unity. And so we need to learn how we can do that. John Stott says, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. And love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. We need that combination, speaking the truth in love. We see about Simon Peter, when he rushed to Jesus' defense, took out a sword and just cut someone's ear off. We can be a bit like that. You know, we take the Bible and just cut off other people's ability to hear us because we're so aggressive with the Bible that we think we know. We need to handle it with wisdom, speaking the truth in love. But it could be, quite literally, it could be about being truthful. And later on in the chapter, in chapter, uh, in chapter 4, it says in verse 25, 
laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So it's clear, at least later in the chapter, where in this part it may be speaking about not being tossed about with other doctrines, speak the truth in love. Well, it does say later in the chapter, be truthful anyway. Now, I don't think believers get up in the morning and think, what lie can I tell today? I don't think we're like that. I don't think it's in us. What we're inclined to do is to strengthen our argument, is to exaggerate or to generalize. Because we say, like, everybody's talking about it. And what, what we mean is me and my two friends are talking about it. No, not everybody. No, no come on, is that everybody? Or she's done it so many times before, happened once before. And we tend to generalize, we tend to exaggerate to make our case. And so speaking the truth in love is saying, I care for, is that actually true? Is that actually true? Am I, am I, well, you're so convinced you're right, you overload it with a bit more. And we feel justified because I think I'm right. And God's therefore on my side, therefore I can build up my case. And that's just not right. We need to speak the truth. We need to be diligent. It says about the city of God, Zechariah 8. It's a wonderful chapter in the Bible. It talks about the city of God and all its distinctives. And it says it's the city of truth. It's where, well, if she said it to me, it's going to be true. I know, I know certain people, you know certain people, if he said it, that's true. You know other people, if he said it, mm, I'll need to check that out. It's just his. So we don't want to be like that. It's like, if he said it, that's it. Because we're believers. We're walking the truth. It's like, if he said it, we can trust that. I don't need to do a lot of investigation. Because we're too willing to hear something. We don't know if it's true or not and tell it straight away. See, I better check. I better make sure of that. So we speak the truth. We need to guard truth in love. Because we're trying to build a great, great church for the glory of God. So God help us. And he says, don't do it because you're members of one another. He's using this image of a body. It's, it's like, would the foot lie to the head or the eye lie to the foot? Now, I, I tripped over a wire out here this morning. Coming, I suppose you all have, you know, tents. They're hilarious, aren't they? But it's not like, like, like the foot saying, you know, uh, or the eye saying, I won't tell the foot there's a tent peg there. <laughs> No, foot, it's all fine. You know, but whoa, here we go. And, and then you, you bash your own eye. <laughs> you don't lie to one another because you're members. You're going to feel the repercussions of your lying. You pass out a lie here, it'll go right around here and hit you. Because we're members of one another. Don't lie. Don't do it. So let's be careful. Okay, that's the second one. Then the third one, the third and final one, building one another up in love. It's in chapter 16. The whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Building up itself in love. We're to build one another up. When I, when I became a Christian, I, I, I went to a Baptist church in Hove, and it was a super church, um, a big church, uh, I don't know, 800. Uh, it, was, it was a good, lively church. Uh, and the preacher was a beautiful man. I loved him very much. Great preacher. But it, it said on the wall, do not speak in the sanctuary. You're not allowed to speak in there. 
That, that was the norm for those days. Go to church, don't speak to anybody. And, I, and it's so weird, because that was normal. It was a similar... Uh, Westminster Chapel, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great, probably the greatest preacher of his generation. You weren't supposed to speak inside. You're not supposed to speak. You don't speak in there. R.T. Kendall, who followed after him, his wife told me when they first went there, she saw somebody, she walked down the aisle and greeted them. She was told off afterwards, you spoke in church. You're not supposed to speak in there. And my pastor used to say this very frequently, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves. In other words, be here next week. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves. We didn't finish the verse. It says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves, but encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. That's what the verse says. He just says to say, don't forsake the gathering. The verse says, encourage one another. We're not even allowed to speak to one another. <laughs> That's a huge problem. I came from a non-Christian background. My parents were not Christian. I never saw a Bible in my home. I got saved. They were very unimpressed with my becoming religious. I got no encouragement from home. I can go and listen to the guy preach. I can shake his hand, go home. How do you get in here? Well, you're not allowed to speak. There were no house groups in those days. Church life has radically changed. But do you know in the New Testament that over 40 one another verses? Over 40. And we were not doing any of them. We're trying to build church and not doing any of them. In the New Testament, it says pray for one another, encourage one another, build one another up. You know, confess your faults to one another, admonish one another. I mean, it's 40 of them. We were doing none of them. Don't do anything to one another. Come and hear the man. And here we're talking about building one another up in love. Building one another up. It's great that you're here. It's another opportunity just to be together. How can we build one another up? Well, you've got to be together. That's one of the, the words that appears early in Acts. You see it again. They were together. They were together. They were together in the temple. They were together from house to house. They were together. They were together. To build one another up, you've got to be together. If you don't bother with a small group, hmm, you ought to try to. To get together. Be together. Because we need to learn from one another. No one can come to maturity as a Christian alone. It's impossible. We need one another. It doesn't say be kind in the Bible. It says, be kind to one another. You see, we tend to think, oh, Mother Teresa, I mean, that, 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 she's so kind, she's amazing, kind. No, the Bible, I'm not trying to put her down. I'm just trying to say that kindness is not a philosophical, wow, kindness. No, it's be kind to one another. Forgiving one another. Be patient with one another. It's all one another. The whole deal is one another. Cultivate morality together. That's how the New Testament is. It's not what get alone with God and pray a lot and read your Bible a lot and try and be a wonderful. No, no, you do it together. That's what the whole emphasis. Just read the New Testament again and again. You'll keep coming across it together, together, together. Building one another. We build one another up. We build one another up. We do it as we've tried to this morning. If different ones have come forward and said things about, hey, come on, God can be trusted. You may be going through difficulty, but he's on the throne. So sometimes we can do it. From the front, sometimes we do it through prophetic gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes we just do it by being very good friends. We're together. We do it. We build one another up. It's again in the passage, building one another up. Verse 16, being fitted and held together 
by what every joint supplies. You know, we, we supply something. Our body's like that. It's all mutually dependent. When I first got, I was a pastor in C4 church for, for 10 years, my first left, uh, Bible college. And I used to visit a lady in Eastbourne Hospital. She's a lovely, godly woman, beautiful, godly woman. And she'd had a stroke and she was in a wheelchair. And she used to get hold of this arm and say, useless thing. And she'd throw it. Useless thing. And we'd laugh and chat and I'd have time with her and we'd just pray together. And stuff. She'd pick this arm up again. Useless thing. She had a member that didn't work. Her body wasn't... I mean, she had a member that didn't work. It's hung there. Useless thing. We don't want members that don't work. We want a body. How do we grow? We, when every part, it says here, is working properly. We grow together and every part's working properly. We have all kinds of different gifts. All kinds of gifts. Some of us would not feel comfortable standing up and speaking to a whole crowd. But I remember when I was at Seaford, there was a wonderful lady in the church, and she used to say to me, she'd, she'd stand by me at the end and said, any new students in today? Because we had a college there and students would come sometimes. And I'd say, yeah, there's three, three new girls. Send them down. And, and you and Wendy come as well. And we say, okay. And we come down. Come, I think, how does she do this? It's like she's got, how do you make your table go? You've got four, five people you weren't expecting to lunch. And somehow you can do this. She had a gift of, the guy, a gift of hospitality. I really believe it's a God thing. She never moaned. She says, oh, all these people filling my house. It was like, it's wonderful. I love it. Oh, so lovely. Come again. You know, you think, wow, this is so beautiful. What does it do? It helps build the church. It helps build. These, these students away from home, several of them for overseas, came from overseas to this college. They didn't know a soul. They found, oh, I'm always welcome here. Years later, she's still writing to some daughters she's got all over the world. Who I, I just came into your home while I was there. You, you see, you build, you build up a body with all kinds of different gifts. I remember when we first did the Downs Bible Week, someone said to me, do a Bible Week. Yeah, it sounds exciting. You know, I, I, what would we do? How do you, how do, you do a Bible Week? And we, we got, I mean, we got 2,700 at the first Downs. It grew to 10,000. Then we went to Stonely, it grew to 30,000. You know, and when we first, I said, I thought, how'd you do this? And my friend Nigel Ring said, hmm, this sounds good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll do that for you. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. A guy who says, I'll do that for you. A church has got people who say, oh, I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. You know, when we finished Stonely Bible Week, Nigel said to me, it was nearly 30,000 by then, he said to me, do you know that over a thousand jobs being done here. Over a thousand people had job descriptions at the Stanley Bible Week. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about it. I was at another person's Bible Week once, and people kept coming up to the guy, asking him questions, asking him questions. We're having a conversation. What do we do? What do we? No one ever asked me a question. Nigel's handling it. Gift of administration. With other people, gifted all sorts of ways. Gifts. You know, a thing like this had to be planned. I'm sure there were people with gifts. People say, hell, I can do that. I can do that. I've just joined the church in Mid-Sussex by Burgess Hill. There's a guy that's got compassion. We just bought a second house for the homeless. He's after a third one now. It's not the eldest. This guy in the church wants to do it. Another guy says, I'd like to mend cars for people. In fact, now he's got this ministry. If people can't afford it, he'll mend their car for them for nothing. 
And now sometimes he seems to get cars, but we don't need this anymore. I know somebody. They think the diversity. You won't find that in the Bible. You know, men's cars for people. I remember once when I first started, I'd been traveling around Sussex to different churches. And there was one place I used to go. And I'd, I'd say to this guy, how are you? And I think, oh, I forgot. Because he just drones on. Well, I'm this and I'm that really bad. And oh, my daughter forgets me. And I thought, oh, I forgot. And I go in next time. I could say, oh, hello, how are you? Oh, and I thought, oh, I did it again. And, a, and so one, one time I was there, and then I said, I said, brother, you're a Christian, right? You know the Lord. You know, it says in the Bible, give thanks in everything. And we just had a little chat together. And you know, I went back there. It was amazing. I always remember it. I went back there some time later. He said, can I speak to you for a bit? I said, hello, what's happened to him? He said, I said, can I speak to you for a bit? I said, yeah, I'd love to. Tell me. He said, I found a little ministry. I said, well, what was that? He said, I asked people for old birthday cards and Christmas cards. When they finish, I, I said, I'll take them from you. He said, I tear the middle out, and then I put a new inside in it. And I sometimes see people are going through tough times, or they're worried about their kids. And he said, I write, I write. And he showed me his beautiful handwriting, a little beautiful statement, a Bible verse, and praying for you. And I thought about you. I just want to encourage you. He said, I've got lots of letters saying, thank, thank you so much. I can't believe it. You know, it's, I think it doesn't say, and there are those gifts of tearing up other birthday cards, <laughs> putting your own bit in the middle. There's loads of gifts. And the Bible gives some, but it doesn't mean that's an exhaustive list. We're a many-membered body. And we grow to maturity when every part's working properly. When this dear man stopped being a moaner, and when I, I gave him counsel, he received it, bless his heart, and changed. And his whole, day, whole demeanor was so changed. He said, can I talk to you? I thought, I've never seen that bright light in his lives before. He was now playing his part. Unusual, but beautiful. So encouraging the people, so appreciated by people. And so we are fitted and held together. We come together. We work out each part that God wants us to have. We fulfill our role. That's God's part for us. So that we are a many-membered body for the body. We do it in love. So in love, we bear with one another. Right? We let people off. We're not saying, how dare you? I wasn't told. How can you do it? I wasn't on the list. They asked, why didn't they ask me? You know, we can get hurt sometimes when you're not on our list. I was forgotten. It's hurt. It can hurt you. Well, you, you make a choice then. You either run, don't speak, don't think of me. You either messed up for a while, or you have bad attitude, or you say, okay, let's forget them. Okay, they forgot. We all forget things. You bear with, you do it with lowliness. Why should they remember me? Who am I? Am I so important? With lowliness and meekness and patience. Okay, I'm patient. Do it, do it. We're going to build a great church. We heard about God's hand on Baalsham. Wow. God wants a great church in the midst of that. I believe God wants to send revival to our nation. I truly believe it. And I believe God wants churches that can receive awakened sinners well. I left secular work over 50 years ago, nearly 60 years ago. I felt God called me to pray for revival. Honestly, that's what I did. I prayed for revival. I didn't do anything else much for a couple of years. Then I went to Bible college and the rest of it. I felt, but you know, if revival had come 50 years ago, 
the church was so cold, so formal. Do not speak in the sanctuary. I mean, that was that was church life. You had the, the organist who didn't like anybody. It was really bad. It was bad atmosphere. It was bad. And and we've seen churches change. We've seen ch- and now now, I believe honestly, if God moved in revival power, there are churches all over this country that say, "Come on in, come on in." But if they come in and say, "Oh," Oh, I notice they don't talk to one another. What have I come into? Are we worth exporting? Are we worth multiplying? Yeah, we go, oh, of course we are. But we've got to keep working at it. Maintain the unity with the Holy Spirit still here. We haven't offended him. He's a gentle dove. He can, he, you can grieve him. You can quench him. No, we need to open. No, no, we're maintaining the unity of the Spirit. One is presence. And then we speak the truth. We want, we want the truth. We're not so silly that, oh, we've just got the Spirit now. We're not interested in the Bible. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. It's so lovely. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Oh, forget the Bible. Oh, that's ridiculous. We want Word and Spirit. Amen? Amen. We want truth and Spirit. We, want, we need to speak the truth in love and be truthful. Come on, make sure it's true. And then we build one another up. It's all in love, in love, in love. God wants a great church. Let's do it, shall we? Father, we thank you so much. I want to thank you for what you've done here. I thank you, Lord, for Lord, scores of people who are, are happy to camp. You know it's not comfortable. You know it's not. We're happier on our bed at home. Thank you, Lord, that you've done something that said, yes, yes, I'm up for this. I thank you for what you have done that brings us to today. And Lord, we, just, we thank you. Now, Father, we say we long for the thousands of people who live around Halsham to find Jesus. We long for these poor, blind people who don't know how to raise their kids, don't know how, Lord, don't know how. Just yield, just give them iPhones, let them look at horrible things. Lord, just don't know how to build up another generation. Lord, people are so lost. They're so spoiled. They're so messed up. And Lord, we just want a church that is like a haven. It's like a place of peace and joy and rest and love and beauty. Father, keep building us. I pray for Simon and the elders. I pray, God, for the whole church here. Keep bless, bless every small group. Bless every endeavor. Our work among the children. Our outreach on the streets. All that we're doing. Father, will you breathe your life? Please keep breathing your life into the church here. And help us to Lord, love this vision of coming to the fullness of the stature of Christ to a mature man. May there be a mature man. Let people see Jesus Christ in our neighborhood. For your glory, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.